Yeah, you're a little tighter this morning, aren't you? Hi, friends. Hey, good to see you. If I end up in your lap, I apologize in advance. That's, uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> this is an up-close-and-personal reality show. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, man. Um, there are uh, many things that make me me, and there are many things that make you you. Uh, and we are uh, very different. Uh, that is the most simple thing that you already knew in the whole world. Um, but that's kind of the crux of our morning. Uh, and it's going to get much more deeper, hopefully more meaningful than that and, uh, and motivating for us as well. Um, five, I would say, uniquely uh, Pat Malay things. Each of these individually is not necessarily unique to me. But the blend of these five things... Um, I would wager would set me apart from at least anyone else in this room and maybe a lot of people out in the world as well, right? All of us are kind of this unique little cocktail of uh, idiosyncrasies and personality temperament things that put it all together and it ends up being you, right? Um, the five easiest things for me to think of were that I, um, I react to things very intensely, right away for like five seconds. I feel very strongly and then I see a squirrel or the next thing or something shiny and I totally forgot about it, right? It's over. Um, I, this is no exaggeration. I don't think that I have held a grudge in my entire human existence. And I know that that's a great challenge for some people, so I'm not trying to belittle the, the weight of that. And I'm also not trying to tell you that I am a, a better or a more patient person than you. I just forgot, basically. <laughs> like, I felt very strongly, I was really hurt, and then there was like, oh, I like that movie, that's fun. I was on to the next thing, right? So like, that's a, that's a specific thing about me that is really good in some situations. And in other times, I really, really should continue thinking about things that happened yesterday, but I just, they're not on my mind anymore. I'm on to the next thing, right? That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that I am uh, obsessed in a way that is probably um, not uh, healthy for a 40-year-old man with Marvel movies, okay? And if you have an issue with that, you can take it up with Captain America on my socks right here, okay? So <laughs> I, uh, I, I have a lot of uh, deep love and appreciation for just good storytelling in general. I tend to, I, I kind of, I have lots of like Christian friends from all different walks of life, right? And I tend to lean in the direction of um, being comfortable with more engagement from like secular pop culture type uh, media, right? Like, it doesn't really bother me to uh, watch a, a TV series that is cer certainly not a Christian or a wholesome TV series because there's something about my personality that I appreciate um, real and sometimes really gritty human reality in good storytelling. And if there's meaning in it, even if it looks dark and um, kind of horrible on the outside, 
then there's something about the stories that I can really appreciate. So Marvel movies are just great for me because beyond the like the flying hammers and the super strength and all that, I see a lot of really beauty in the stories and the humanity and the struggle and all that stuff. Um, if you don't like Marvel movies, it's fine. We can still be friends. We'll just have to find something else to talk about. And that's okay. We can find other things. Uh, number three, my family makes fun of me all the time about this. I tend to be very outspoken about things that don't matter at all. <laughs> and the other side of that coin is I tend to be less clear than I ought to be about things that are brutally and really important. Um, my family, uh, over Christmases and Thanksgivings over the years, uh, I'll just, I, sometimes I'll say a thing and they'll be like, wait, did Pat just have a loud opinion about like cheesecake? That's shocking. I can't believe that he took a stand on something so controversial, you know, but like bring up something in mixed company that involves like principles, core values, religion, politics, stuff like that, all of a sudden I get really antsy and I don't have a lot of comfort in talking about things like that. So that's a growing edge for me, learning to be comfortable with things that are difficult to talk about, things that might make other people disagree with me and having the, the grace to be able to live in the tension, right? To live in the disagreement that we don't have to agree and I can still love you and that's okay, right? It's a growing edge. Uh, number four, uh, it, it is important to me to, to have refined the skill to be able to connect with literally any human being about something. This was like a core tenet of my time in youth ministry especially. Um, and, I, and I took a lot of it from St. Paul's comment, right? He, he talks about how um, when he went to go minister to the Jews, he, he really kind of like turned up his Jewishness, so to speak. He, he, he went to be a Jew to the Jews. When he went to talk to the Greeks, he took his, his Roman background and his kind of secular heritage to the Greeks so he could minister to them. And then he says this beautiful phrase, um, I, I'm called to be all things to all men so that at least some might be saved. So it's really important to me in my life to be able to make some kind of relatively insignificant connection with everyone so that I can try to find some kind of a common ground to build on. Sometimes that's really easy. Sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> but I have almost always been able to find something, and it's really exciting to like go down that little conversational journey. Uh, number five, um, and this one has been true ever since high school, and I think my friends could tell you, I am good at almost everything I do, and I am great at almost nothing. Which in high school was really frustrating, actually, because I was JV at everything. I could play every sport adequately. <laughs> I, I got cut from very few teams, but they would just shuffle me off to JV and be like, you'll be fine. Just don't, your points don't mean anything. You don't matter, but you can stay as long as you want, right? That kind of thing. Uh, and all I wanted was to be great at one cool sport. Something awesome, not like tennis or something boring. No offense. I'm just, <laughs> I know. You're from Edina, some of you. I get it. I know. <laughs> this is no joke, though. So this is total aside, but it's amazing to me still. I don't know, the, I don't remember the, the numbers, but the record of years in a row that the Edina girls high school team won the state tournament in tennis, it was like 15 years straight or something like that, right? It just, like, it's amazing. That's Shocking to me because I was never good at tennis. Um, uh, but I wanted to be good at some cool manly thing in my stupid stereotypical brain, right? I wanted to be good at football. And I played one year 
freshman year, and I was an offensive lineman, and I was about this tall, and I was about 40 pounds lighter, actually. So the guys that were like five foot six and 250 would hit me right about there and just push me over like a cardboard box, and they would sack the quarterback, who I was in charge of defending, and my dignity fell right alongside me on the ground there. Um, I wanted to be good at a great, a great at a really cool sport, and I was only good at most things. Now that has some, some, you know, the nice side to it too, that I'm good at a lot of things and, and I can pick up things fairly easily. But still, I'm not great at anything. So I've had to learn to live in that space of like, okay, I can, I can connect with people on a certain level with things that I'm good at, but I have to live in the humility of being excellent at very little. And, and that's okay, actually. Uh, not all of us are called to be professional athletes, thanks be to God. Not all of us are called to even be college athletes, thanks be to God. So I, I've had to learn to live in the space of like, God has given me gifts and to find a place for gratitude in what I've been given, not a place for resentment for what I have not been given, right? Um, do me a favor. Uh, I want to give you a, a few minutes to talk with somebody that you're close to, right? Spouse, friend, some very nice person that you just met this weekend, uh, whoever is near you, okay? Come up with maybe three to five things that when you put them together, they make you, you, right? Three to five things that you would wager that blend of things is not true for anyone else, at least in this room, right? Three to five things. Can okay, I go ahead and share those with each other? And we'll come back after a few minutes, okay? Ready to go. All right. Um, anybody game for, I mean, just whatever, like four or five people, uh, maybe give me a hand first so I know who's talking. But what, what is one of your things? What is one of the things that makes you you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You know they tell you in imaginary public speaking 101 is be sure not to alienate your audience right off the bat. <laughs> and a tennis coach. Okay, cool. Did I uh, did I ever tell you how much respect I have for for the, for the tennis players of the world? I. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but I am not good at tennis. And I, I totally admire the gift and really the, the physical attractiveness of all tennis players. So, all right, somebody else. <laughs> what else? One, one, one thing that makes you, you. What else you got? Yeah, go ahead. Totally. Yep. Super extroverted. Yep. You and I would never stop talking to each other because I'm like an 11 out of 10 on the extrovert scale as well. Right. In freshman year of college, uh, I got horrific grades uh, for a lot of reasons. One of them was that there were so many people around. And so why would I start doing my schoolwork when there were people around? So literally most nights I would begin my work for the next day when the last person went to bed. So at 1 a.m., I sit down and start studying for that test or writing that paper. Not a recipe for success. 
It's a recipe for a 2.7 is what it is actually. <laughs> so yes, I feel that, that's great, yeah. What else, something else that makes you you? Yes, sir. Wow, super flexible. Lived in five countries before the age of 11. So easily adaptable, flexible, um, uh, kind of comfortable with that kind of uh, uh, flexibility. That's great. Yeah, lots of, uh, I, I spoke at um, a conference for uh, children of military families years ago. Same kind of thing, right? Military brats, so to speak, that they had to move from base to base, from state to state, sometimes around the globe, year after year after year. And those kids can make friends with anyone because they have had to, right? It just really difficult in some ways, but really beautiful opportunities that provides on the other side too. Yeah. Awesome. What else? What else? Give me a couple more. Yeah, please. A fierce advocate for other people. Got it. So like identifying their needs and being willing to fight for their needs, that kind of a thing. Oh, and identifying what they need before they do sometimes. Got it. Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. And sometimes a, a challenge when the weight of other people's needs is on our shoulders. So a lot of it is, has to do with self-care, making sure my needs are met so that I can serve the needs of others, things like that. But that's a beautiful gift. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me one more. Yes, please. A slow processor. Yes. So as opposed to my immediate reactions, I will tell you what I think before I actually know what I think. You would say, give me three days and I'll be right back <laughs> and I'll tell you how I feel about that thing. Gotcha. Yep. That's awesome. Thank you. And all of you others have, you know, amazing, beautiful facets of yourself, right? That make you, you. The reason I bring that up is this, and I'm going to use an image and I'm going to apologize in advance because in a moment, my Catholicism is going to show. All right. So not deeply, not intensely, but just about this one little thing. I love a good stained glass window right? And maybe that's just because I am in buildings frequently that have stained glass windows. That's fine. But I, I do firmly believe that whether or not you're a member of like a quote unquote high church or whatever, that even just the, the physical beauty of stained glass windows in a, in a museum, in anything, can be, can be striking, can be um, uh, enrapturing, can, can grab our attention and make us pay attention because it's just different and it's unusual and it's it's got a beauty to it that you don't find in a lot of other places, I think. Um, a few years ago, uh, Ken and I got to go uh, to Paris for a weekend um, with my sister and her husband. And in Paris, if you went today, you could go there if you want to, there's a chapel uh, that was built almost 800 years ago by King Louis IX. And the name of it now is just Saint-Chapelle. It means Holy Chapel. That's it, Right. And uh, Saint-Chapelle, I've got a picture that I can show you if we've got that. And if not, that is okay too, because uh, you can use the theater of your mind. Uh, <laughs> in Saint-Chapelle, there are unspeakable stained glass windows. Sometime you can Google it when you get home. You can just type in Saint-Chapel and Google will fix it for you and they'll find it. Um, floor to ceiling, almost floor to ceiling, three stories tall, the entire way down one long side, around the back of the sanctuary area, all the way up the other side, thin, probably 40 foot tall stained glass windows. And in those windows are little, what they call medallions. So they're little uh, diamond shapes set into the windows surrounded by other stained glass. 
So there's probably four or five maybe medallions going up each separate window section. And inside each medallion are images. And when you put those images together, when you look at them one after another, the windows themselves show you the story of salvation history. Scripture itself is shown in the windows all the way around this chapel. When you walk into the chapel, it's no exaggeration to say everything feels different inside compared to outside. Outside is beautiful. It's Paris. It's lovely, right? But you step inside and literally the light is different in there. It, it's, it's hazy and it's a little bit darker, but it's not dark in a bad way. It's dark in an intense way, in a beautiful way. Um, one of the things I love most about stained glass windows is the painstaking nature that it takes artists to put those things together. They have, to, they have to create these tiny little panes of glass of thousands of different colors. They have to fuse them together in a way that makes sense so that when you look at the window, you don't actually see the individual panes. You don't register those. You just see this amazingly beautiful image that's been intended for you to see, right? But if those panes were all the same color, it would not be nearly as beautiful. And you wouldn't even see the story. You wouldn't see the image in the first place. If even a few of those panes were missing, or if they were, if they were dark, if they were black, or if they let all the light through, if they were white and perfectly clear, that would, that would affect and water down the beauty of the image somehow. It's really important, actually, in, in the artist's intention, that every single one of those tiny little panes is the exact color it needs to be to make the whole thing beautiful, to make the whole thing speak the language that it's meant to speak. Because see, the light is changed when it comes through the glass. The light itself is not different from outside to inside. It's the same light, right? But when it shines through these little panes of glass, the light changes color and you see a different perspective. A different side of the light is shown when it passes through these colors. It's the same unchanging light. It's just a particular lens. It's a particular way of seeing it. And there's beauty that becomes possible only when all those different colors work together to capture the light and to bring it to your eyes. Uh, there was a, a, a boy I knew once whose mom uh, took him to a church like that. Uh, and she asked him, um, uh, they were just talking about like Jesus-y stuff, you know. And um, she was asking him, uh, what do you think uh, is, can you tell me what a saint is? Now, a lot of times in different traditions, we'll have different understandings of saint, right? But the common understanding at minimum is somebody that's in heaven, right? That's the scriptural understanding. It's somebody who's united with God in heaven, right? So she asked her son, what do you think a saint is? And he said to her, um, well, that's a probably five, six-year-old boy. He said, well, a saint are, is the one that the light shines through. Because in his church where he went, he was used to seeing saints in windows, Right? And he's thinking beautifully, literally, like a five, six-year-old boy does, about these literal saints that light shines through into his church. Now think about your life for a moment, and think about those people that the light has shone through to you. Think about the people that, that have helped you know Jesus better, because the light has shined through them in a way that no one else could offer. The, the people who, who didn't change the light, but the light was shown in them in a way that could only be shown through them 
and no one else could show the light of Christ the way that, those, that that person does. That's at the crux of our final C.S. Lewis passage for this weekend. It's from a book called Mere Christianity, and uh, somebody uh, asked me earlier in the weekend, you know, if I was going to start reading C.S. Lewis, what book would you recommend? This would be the one I would recommend, Mere Christianity. There are lots of great starting points. Screw tape is a really funny starting point, actually. It's kind of fun. It's engaging if you want to, like, if, if you get bored easily with books like I do. <laughs> um, the Great Divorce is another amazing, beautiful book. It's not about marriage. It's about heaven and hell. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful narrative description of what heaven might be like, just like a, a supposition, basically. It's incredible. But Mere Christianity is a great starting point because it's taken from a series of radio talks that C.S. Lewis did during World War II in England. So in the belly of the beast, <laughs> he's giving radio talks that lots of people listen to around the world, especially soldiers in battle would be able to listen on their little wireless and pick up uh, the, the teachings of Christianity starting from ground zero. So mere Christianity, page one, assumes that you believe in nothing, nothing. That you and I are just really smart monkeys and there is nothing after we die. That's page one. And then he builds the case throughout the whole book for Jesus being your actual Lord and Savior and giving everything to him, okay? What we're gonna read, spoiler alert, is the very last page of mere Christianity. <laughs> so forgive me for ruining the book for you, but it's only ruined a little bit. It's totally worth it anyway, right? What he's talking about is what it looks like when you and I give ourselves to Christ and when all of us as a church give ourselves to Christ? What is possible when we give ourselves to him and let the light shine through us? It starts with a little arrow there. He says, at the beginning, I said there were personalities in God. I will go further now. There are no real personalities anywhere else. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found amongst the most natural men not among those who surrender to Christ. How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different are the saints. I have that line all over my house <laughs> in multiple places. One place in our kitchen especially that everyone in our house, especially God willing, our little children will see every single day. Just Think about that for a moment. If you think back, I don't care if you like history or not, I don't like history, but if you know anything about history, think of any of the great tyrants and conquerors throughout history, and you will find the exact same boring, stupid story. Somebody got greedy, they wanted power, usually a man, and he found that power by oppressing and dominating other people who had no reason to be oppressed or dominated and he took over, and he ran things for a while, and he did it in oppressive, dominating fashion. And then something happened, and he lost his power. Someone else took it from him, and now that guy was the new oppressor, dominator, tyrant. It's the same story, the same motivation. God is creative, the devil is not. He just does the same stuff over and over and over and over. But how gloriously different are the saints. He goes on, but there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to him at all. 
the very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours, and yours just because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It it will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people unless you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, without caring two pence how often it has been told before, you will, nine times out of ten, become original without ever having noticed it. (laughs) The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give yourself up, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given you besides. Right? There is no more diverse collection of beautiful human beings than the saints, than the church, than the holy men and women throughout the ages who have served Christ faithfully. Um, Men and women... Every race, every age, every generation, every location on the globe, every amount of wealth, the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, every personality type, every job, every state in life, married, single, parents, grandparents, people who never had kids, people who wanted children but never had them, people who adopted children, people who were adopted, people who served immigrants and refugees, people who gave their lives for the poor, people who were the poor, who got served. No more diverse collection of humans than the church spread throughout the ages. And it's in that diversity that we get this amazing stained glass window vision of what God is doing in the lives of his people. Friends, With your parents' DNA, with 50% from your mom, 50% from your dad, there could have been 8 million different versions of you. You could have turned out 8 million different ways. And that's just you, individually. Now multiply that times the 8 billion people that are on the planet right now, right? It's no surprise to us, even just statistically, that no two people are alike. (laughs) I have identical twin girls. If you're a twin or you have twins, you know that they may be identical, but they're not identical, right? (laughs) You could have been eight million ways. Have you ever thought about why God wanted this version of you? You could have been eight million ways. Even just, you could have been 1% different, but he didn't flip that lever. He wanted you this way even with your exact specific weaknesses. 
the things that you hate about yourself the most, the things that I go to bed at night regretting about my existence, God, in some mysterious way, intended. Not my sins now, that's my choice, but the weaknesses and the shortcomings that lead to my willful choice. Does that make sense? That was intended somehow. And again, St. Paul fills in the gaps for me a lot of times. That even in my weaknesses, God may be glorified. When I am weak, he is strong. What that requires is that I be weak. There are elements of God's strength that will never be known in this world unless it is through my weakness. When I do something amazing and people look at me and they say, that guy, that guy did that, there has to be a God. Because <laughs> there's no way that that fool could have done that thing, right? God be praised, right? God created you in your frustrating weaknesses intentionally because he desires you. He doesn't need you because he's God. He doesn't need anything. But he chose you freely, willingly. He chose you. And now that you're here, he intends to use you to reflect his light to a world that needs to see his love through your particular lens your color in the stained glass window that no one else can imitate, no one else can replicate, that you matter to him and to us because you are one particular lens. One of my favorite examples of the way that God shows his beauty through weakness and through this diversity of the church was through a guy named Nick that I knew. Uh, Nick was a high school youth uh, and really more of a young adult uh, when this story took place, probably about five to seven years ago. Time gets muddy when you're like 40, right? You throw a pandemic in there. It could have been five years ago. could have been 30 years ago. I don't know. But this was probably five to seven years ago. I was working at a church, and we went on a mission trip over the summer. And we were gearing up to go do service work uh, at a place out of state. And we were going to bring a couple busloads of high schoolers and some adults. It was going to be the best. Best part of my year, every year ministry-wise. And then uh, Nick signed up for this mission trip. Nick was an awesome, awesome kid. And Nick has significant developmental delays and special needs. And the good youth minister in me said, excellent. And the fallen, weak, broken person in me said, oh no. Because it's, in a human way, it's a lot of work, right? When someone has special needs, when, when the people that you know that you have to care for and, and be mindful of, like Ashley and Levi, I talked about the other day, it's, it's a lot of work. And the fallen, broken person in me was looking at the work, not at the person, you know? So I had that initial thought of like, oh, it's gonna be a hard week. Now his dad, Jeff, was coming. So that uh, kind of helped me kind of lighten the human load at least, that, that Jeff knows his needs really well. He can identify things like if he's really tired, that he needs to just take a nap, things like that, right? So that helped a little bit, but still, just I am a weak person, and that was one of my weaknesses, was looking at the work, not the person, right? So we go on the trip, and it is immediately harder with Nick. <laughs> Nick is awesome. He's hilarious. He's a big, bulking guy. He doesn't know his own strength, so a handshake might kill you if you're not careful. Uh, a hug is like hugging a literal Kodiak bear. It just, it's the best. Uh, he's happy about everything. He wants to be everyone's friend, and he takes about 
three hours to eat a meal, <laughs> which is fine. I'm a slow eater too, almost as slow as him. But when you're trying to get through fast food restaurants to get back on the road with two buses of kids to get to the workplace on time, it's not the most convenient thing in the world, right? So I was going through this constant struggle of like, love the person and also help him get what he needs, but in a way that can maybe <laughs> be a little helpful for the rest of the group, right? Walking that balance the whole time. Uh, Jeff, when we got to the, to the school that we were staying at to do all this mission trip, Jeff, God bless him, Nick's dad, was just beside himself with anxiety. Um, a little bit for the good of his son, just making that Nick was taken care of, that he was comfortable and he had what he needed that week. But more than that, um, for everyone else's comfort. He was just really worried that, that Nick was going to make life hard for the other kids in the, in the group, basically. That, um, that his voice would be a little too loud. He would tend to have maybe outbursts sometimes during inappropriate moments, during prayer, during worship, things like that. He just couldn't keep his voice inside, right? And Jeff was really, really um, worried about that. And one of the other dads, Rick, finally set, sat Jeff down on Tuesday and like man to man, brother to brother was like, you have got to let him go. Like, don't stop taking care of him, but you have got to internally just let Nick be Nick. And everyone else is going to be given the opportunity to learn to love him and to go with him in this journey this week that we've got together, right? So Jeff like took a deep breath and internally was like, all right, whatever it's going to be, God, it's your fault now, right? <laughs> and amazing things started to happen. Um, Nick, within about 24 hours, became everybody's friend at this camp. It's like 300 people, 300 high school kids from all these different states. And he would just like walk up to a group at lunch and be like, hey, what's your name? He's the best, the sweetest. And they would just be his friend right off the bat. Um, he, would, he would just shout out things during worship. And it, it quickly shifted from, oh my gosh, what does that sound, to, oh my gosh, isn't Nick the best in people's minds, right? The, the guys in our group especially, the other high school boys, man, <laughs> they were all like big brothers to Nick by the end of the week. To the point where they were, they were correcting him in healthy and appropriate ways. When it was 11.30 at night and we were all laying in the dark in our beds and Nick was just talking and talking and talking and talking, uh, Dane, one of the other boys, would just very lovingly but firmly, like a good brother, say, hey, Nick, it's time for bed now, buddy. We got to shut it down, right? And he would listen to Dane more than his dad, definitely more than me. Um, at the end of the week... Um, the, the, the final like prayer service closing thing of the week that we had, the leader um, was talking through the course of the week and he stopped for a moment and he went over and he talked to one of the kids from our group, like whispered in their face in front of everybody, really awkward. But I thought I knew what he was doing and I was bracing myself for it. What he was doing was he was making sure that he got Nick's name right because he came back and he said, um, uh, I just, want to, I just want everyone to take a moment to appreciate what God has done for us through Nick's witness at this camp and in our hearts because of him. Um, that, that he's a person who has given and given and loved and loved all week long and that all of us have been asked to love and to give 
in particular ways this week. And this wonderful, good minister leader guy made this little youth minister just start weeping over on the side of the room, right? Because I was confronted with two realities. Number one, the, the sheer beauty of Nick's particular facet of our church, that we would be a worse church without him. Um, that we actually, at that camp, the 300 of us, the, all of us would have been not as good of humans at the end of that week without him. Because see, by Nick's sheer presence, he requires love of the people around him. You're either going to grow in love or you're going to grow in frustration. And all of us, by the grace of God, chose love in that situation. It was a harder week with Nick there. I can be honest about that. I'm telling you right now, it would have been such a worse week if Nick was not there. It would have been so much worse. I was confronted with the beauty of his presence, and I was confronted with the darkness of my own frailty. That seven days ago, I had gotten on the bus thinking to myself, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> and it ended up winning, being one of the more transformative experiences of my life. Because I didn't see the way that God could shine his light through that particular pane of colored glass. And God, like he always does, surprised me in his goodness, shocked me in his goodness. I am confident that there are people in your life who you have a hard time seeing the light of God shine through. <laughs> when my twins wake me up at 4.30 in the morning, I have a hard time seeing the light in them. It's easy for me to wish that they were different, or at minimum, to wish that they were older, at least so they could kind of be a little more self-sufficient. I have to remind myself that God is saying something in them now, today. That in their whining and their power struggles as toddlers, God is saying something about my need to relinquish control over their lives to a healthy extent right now. That, that even in ourselves, we can, we can have a hard time appreciating the way God shines his light through ourselves. That God is saying something even in our weakness, even in our struggles, in our issues and baggage, that God has something to say, something to shine that he could not do any other way. As you and I start to look toward going home today and back to your normal life, your day-to-day, -day, your nine-to-five, whatever kind of a grind you have looking forward when you get home. Let's not miss the ways that God chooses to use you particularly because he loves you and because there are ways that other people will only know his love if they see it through you. What are the ways that you and I can give ourselves to God even more fully, like C.S. Lewis talks about, to abandon ourselves to him and let him fill us with our true self. The God who made us, the God who made us to be authentic, and in the midst of our lives, we cover up that authentic self with all kinds of masks and facades and imaginary impressions that we want people to see, what would happen if we truly gave our whole self to Christ, allowed him to fill us so that we could be genuinely who he made us to be again, so that we could be authentic, so that you could just be you. Beautiful, fallen, weak, stumbling, courageous, powerful, beautiful you. 
of the many things that an experience like this, that a, that a winter weekend offers, of the many things it offers, one of my favorites is the diversity of a group like this, right? There are not a lot of situations where people from so many different backgrounds, so many different faith traditions, so many different families, so many different places around the globe could come together to worship well, to love him well, and to love each other so well. Friends, this is practice. <laughs> now you get to go back to where things get really dicey, and you get to be as loving out there, if not more, than you were here this weekend. You've been practicing. You've got the muscles stretched out. They've been strengthened this weekend, and now God's got a job for you out there. He's got a mission just for you. Embrace it. Let's pray. Father God, you, um, you made us. You made us and you love us. You redeemed us with your son. And Lord, you made us in particular, individual, unique, and beautiful ways. Lord, it's such a mystery, the ways that you work, the way that you make each of us individually. And sometimes, Lord, it's even hard to appreciate the way that you made us. It can be hard for us to appreciate the way you made other people. But Lord, we trust you, so we trust that you have intended goodness through each of us, and that you intend goodness and love through every human child of yours. So Lord, help us to shine your light. Help your light to shine through us, that we can be one particular and individual reflection of your grace to this hungry world. And Lord, help us to, to see the beauty and the diversity of all of your holy ones around the globe. Help us to acknowledge even the ones that are hard to, hard to love, the ones that are hard to, to look at with our human eyes. Help us to see your light reflected through them, Lord. Lord, give us your grace, give us your peace, and give us your courage and your motivation as we head back to our homes, back to our regular lives, to be exactly the beloved son or daughter that you made each of us to be. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's been such a blessing this weekend. Um, before you go, please take cards, stickers, all that stuff, and uh, I'm going to be praying for you for many, many, many months. Okay. God bless you guys. Thanks. Let's give it up for Pat, huh? Woo. Thank you so much.